always good to be with you. Is this, uh, if you've had me as your speaker before, could I just see a quick little flash of your hands? Okay, great. Okay. And a lot of you, I haven't. It's such a pleasure to be here. I mean that. I know you're supposed to say that whenever you speak. Um, I guess no one is ever going to say it's not a pleasure to be here, but it's a joy for my family, my kids. This is their highlight of the year. And I love to serve you with God's word and to um, to share with you what God has here. I'm, I'm your servant this week in many ways. And before I get into all that, you probably should know a couple of things about me, especially those of you who've never seen me before, because you should rightly ask, who is this guy? You know, um, you're going to be sitting under my teaching for the next week, and you should rightfully wonder, who, who am I? Am I trustworthy? Should you give my attention, uh, give me your attention, and so forth? Um, so I am married to my lovely wife, Joanna, who I, is back there 12 years, and I have four kids, four, six, eight, ten, and um, love them dearly. We have just such a just such a blast, and I'm so grateful to be their dad and married to my wife for so it's just so much life in our home. Um, we got to see family just yesterday. We were in New York. We came here a day early and made an impromptu uh, trip to New York and took the ferry into Long Island and got to see Joanna's family and, and very, very old grandma, and, and it was really, really special. Um, and so that's a little bit about my family. My, I am a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so we planted a church there called All People's Church, Five years ago, I'm one of five pastors, and we're gearing up to plant our next church, hopefully, in the next year or two, and um, I, that's, that's kind of it. I grew up in California and in Georgia. About a third of my life was in Georgia, Minnesota, and California, so I just gravitate towards repping whoever I want to, depending on the day, and so I got a little bit of everything. My parents are both uh, South Korean immigrants, and so I'm a second-generation Korean-American, so grew up here with Korean parents, and so that adds to my kind of background. And most importantly, all those things are important. The most important thing is that this Friday, I turned 20 years old. Yeah. Now, some of you guys are doing the math. You're like, okay, okay, he's been married for 12 years, so that puts him at a eight years old, getting married, maybe some weird Korean tradition or something like that. Um, So 20 years ago, this Friday, I had a radical encounter with the living God and was born again. And so I've been a Christian. I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years this Friday. And it was actually at a conference camp like this when I was 15. Anybody 15 here? Any 15 year olds? Well, there's not a lot of 15-year-olds. All right. Um, But that was 20 years ago, and Jesus is sweeter, more real. He's always been faithful, and I would love for you to get to know him more this week. With that said, I need to acknowledge and let you guys know that I have not been a youth pastor for about 11 years. I normally preach to a diverse group of adults in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Um, so I'm not used to preaching to youth. And what I typically do is just ignore the fact that you're youth and just treat you like adults because it's too hard. I, all of my cultural references, all the artists that I know are always like 10 years old. 
Um, and so whatever you like listening to now, I will like listening to 10 years from now. Uh, the way it, what's popular to dress, my wife and I are usually 10 years past. So that's just, I'm, I can't do that. I'm just not that relevant. I can't connect with you guys on that level. But what I do know is that you have a similar background as the people that I preach to regularly. And that is, let me just acknowledge a few of the different kinds of people in the room here. And I just want you to know that I know you're here and I actually really care about you, believe it or not. So there's a few categories. There's a group of people here. You're wandering. You come from a Christian background. You claim Christ, but your heart has gone cold. And you're actually not following him anymore. He kind of follows you around. You're the king. As one of you guys said over there, I'm the king. You're your own king. Oh, he's pointing to him. It's that guy right there. <laughs> You, you, you are functionally your own king, even though you may wear a cross or you may say Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, but you are your own king. Jesus just has a backseat, and maybe you'll call upon him when you're in need of passing a test or getting that girl or making that grade or whatever that is. So that's one category. You're wandering. You're, you're far from God, even though you may have all the Christian trappings and your family are believers. There's another group here. You're a skeptic, and I'm so glad you're here. You don't know God. You may not even believe that there is a God, and there's many reasons why you have skepticism towards God in your life. You don't believe this Bible is God's word, that there's any authority that it has over your life, um, and you may think that we're a bunch of freaks, like last night. You know, there's people who are like, we're holding up their Bibles and their camp stuff, and we're talking about modesty, and there's this like big old like dance, and people are singing, and you're like, where am I? People are standing up trying to spell Nebuchadnezzar, and you're like, I am around a bunch of freaks. Who got me here? I, mean, I know some of you guys were thinking that. I was listening to your minds last night. I was like, yeah, you guys are thinking, why am I here? I was tricked. Someone said there was going to be candy and lots of fun, and now I'm around this Jesus camp. I remember the first year I came here as a speaker, uh, some kids were at the pool, and they're like, man, we're at Jesus camp, you know? And I get that you may feel that way, and you're in this, you're trapped in this place, and um, I have great sympathy for you. Uh, but God has good purposes for you this week. There's another group here. You're disillusioned. You grew up in the church. You have some sort of church background, but you have been deeply hurt and harmed by people who are called so-called Christians. You've seen the hypocrisy in the church or maybe the hypocrisy in your home, and you want nothing to do with it. You're deeply hurt, wounded, maybe traumatized, and you're disillusioned by the church, and you don't think this is real or you have lots of questions and doubts. There's another group of you here, They're the hurting. Hurting maybe from the church, maybe from your home. I grew up in a very, very broken home where divorce was on the table every month of almost my entire life. Very destabilized, very insecure that there was going to be a home there the next month. Maybe you have that background. Or maybe you've been deeply hurt by a friend who loves you, that you thought loved you, a relationship, bullies, you name it, you're deeply hurting and you're coming here and your heart and your soul are longing for healing. And then finally, there's a group of you who are hungry. You're hungry for more of God and you've been growing and you want to grow more and God's going to feed you more than you can eat this week. So regardless of whether, wherever you are, you are here. God has you here. 
Maybe someone tricked you here. I'm sorry they did that. They shouldn't have done that. But you are here this week, and I want you not to waste it. I, don't, I want to get the most out of this week with you. And so even though I usually preach to adults, I'm guessing that those categories, which I normally preach to in adults, are represented here. And so I will treat you as adults, and I think you'll probably appreciate that. Let me share a couple of other truths that I want to acknowledge. Um, this is God's word, and it's true. It's the authority that God has placed over his people, and whether you acknowledge it or not, it is reality and it's true. Just like gravity is true, whether you acknowledge it or not, to your great detriment, if you reject that reality of gravity, same thing with this word. This is God's word, and you are not under my authority. Let me make that clear. I am not special. I am not better than you. You should only listen to me as much as I am representing accurately what this says. So whether I'm 15 or 500, my relevance or the worthiness of what I'm saying is only as far as I am representing what is in this book. And so you should check my work. So grab a Bible. If you don't have one yet, please get one from someone and check my work. See if what I'm saying is true. Because I can be at times interesting, sometimes funny, and you may just listen to me because of those things, and you ought not to. You should listen to me if what I'm saying is true, not if you like it or not. And if you don't like it, you should ask not if you like it or not, or if it, but if it's true. And that is a big thing we talked about last year. So make sure you check my work. If I am representing this word correctly and rightly, unpacking it and sharing with you, it's as if God himself is speaking, not me. So don't let my limitations, my background, I know I can't relate with every single one of you. I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I can't begin to do that, but you know, God's word can. I'm gonna let God speak. And so you check my work this week as we're gonna be in Daniel. And the final thing I wanna say is I need this. I know speaking from a stage can give you the impression that I have arrived and like I, I get all this stuff. And yes, certainly I've grown in a lot of these things, but I'm still needy of this. I need this word. I need what I'm going to be speaking to you. It's something that I'm under as well as you. So I, will, I want you to know I don't look down on you. I don't disdain you for your youth. Um, I need this just like you need it. So with that, some of those categories established, I want to pray with you just for a few moments. And this is what I'd like to do. I want to give you 30 seconds to pray for your own heart. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, can you just maybe even consider, I'm not going to tell you to do this, but consider saying, God, if you're real, would you speak to me this week? And so whether, wherever you're at, can you just pray for the next 30 seconds? If you'd be willing to close your eyes so you could just not be distracted. There's nothing more spiritual. It's not like your antenna gets better. God can listen better, but it's more of your heart being able to dial in more. Would you close your eyes for a second? And just say, just pray for 30 seconds or so. God, would you speak to me this week? Would you speak to me through your word? Would you meet me where I'm at? In my wounds, in my questions, in my doubts, in my hurts. Speak to me, please. I'm with you too. I'm praying, God, speak to me more through this word. And then would you take a 
the next 30 seconds to pray for those sitting around you, would you not just think about your own individual relationship with God, but for a moment, think about who are the people around you who need to hear this too, who want to grow, who need to grow, who, who maybe don't trust Jesus yet. Pray that God would speak to them. So start thinking about those around you. Pray for them right now. And finally, would you be so kind to pray for me that God would empower me to serve you well this week and preach his word faithfully, powerfully, helpfully. So would you pray for me now? Father, I know you hear me, and I'm thankful that I have your ear. And I thank you that you just heard a bunch of prayers in this group. A mixed bag, no less, of course. Some with different mixed motivations and different places and where they're coming from. But would you take our mess, where we're coming from, and would you meet us where we're at? I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and do what only you can do in this room. I pray, Father, for the kind of spiritual fervor and the focus that we usually experience on day four to even start now, that hearts would dial in. Could you help us get over all of this, like, pretending that we're going to do and waiting for other friends to start worshiping or waiting for other friends to start listening and then I'm going to care? But Lord, there would be uh, an intensity and an interest in all hearts right now, even now, to just lock into what you have to say in an interest. And I know, Father, there's so much baggage that we're coming into this week from home. Maybe we got in a fight with our parents. Maybe we've never been on good terms with our parents or, or we don't have parents or whatever it is. All the kind of stuff that breathes down our neck from our uh, home or, or our school that, that during this time here that you would just help us just fully lock in to what you're trying to say. That there would be a quiet in the midst of the storm. I pray against every demonic force that keeps us distracted and in bondage. Those in this room who would seek to discourage or distract others from hearing what you have to say, I pray that there would just be a deep conviction against that and a quieting of hearts. And I pray that every heart here, especially those who are longing for restoration and healing, that there would just be in their heart just a yearning to know that what, what you have to say is the answer they're looking for. So Lord, help me not get in the way. Help me be faithful to your word. Would you protect this group from my own blind spots and my baggage, my sin, my finitude? I pray that you would come and work throughout this week in ways that we can't even imagine. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for praying. I would love to go deeper. You know, what happens is typically by day four of camp, there is a hunger, there is an openness, a longing to grow and to be near to God, and then boom, camp's over. And you miss out because the first two, three days, you guys are just, I don't know the right word that's appropriate, just, just fooling around, all right? <laughs> and I'd love to just jump right in. And I know right now you guys are deeply 
taking cues from others around you. Hey, are you into this? Hey, is this, was that funny? Oh, I wanted to laugh, but I don't, but you didn't laugh. So I'm not going to, you know, can we just, can we get over that? You know, because at the end of the day, like this is about your relationship with God, not your relationship with your friends and God. And then we'll get to that because your friends are in, integral for your relationship with God. But, but I, I just want to welcome you to just take a stand and be bold and just like literally like do what you, you would like to do when it comes to God and get, go take steps and let, lead your friends. Don't let your friends tell you how worthy God is or how interesting he is or engaging in this. You take that stand. If you're hungry, if you're longing and you're aching for more, you, you, you lead. So let's jump into all this. Let, let me kind of lay the land. Um, it's not news that we're, World, our world is like falling apart. In, in the last 10 years, especially culturally, it's just falling apart. And, and that goes for both sides. I'm not speaking as a Republican saying, we got to get America back. Look at how much our world has fallen apart. Because whether you're a liberal or, or if you're a conservative, both feel like the world's falling apart, right? Like it's not like the, the progressives are like, oh, the world's going exactly as we want. Both feel this deep sense of angst that the world is not as it ought to be. There's a deep sense of un, unsettledness and, and, and there's anxiety that's going to build as the primaries come up. And we're going to, are we going to see Trump and Biden again? Like, are we really doing this over again? There's, everyone's going to be so anxious. Like what's going to happen? And then people are going to like, oh, no matter whoever wins, we're gonna, people are going to lose their minds. And we feel this sense of, of deep angst about the world and about what's true. And, and, and deep insecurity about what's the solution, because there's a ton of solutions, but a lack of clarity. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the solution? Well, if you're not a Christian here, there's a lot of proposed solutions in the world being shoved down your throat. You should do this politically or socially. This is how we're going to find peace in this world. And yet you have to ask yourself, is that the right solution? And are they diagnosing even the right problems? If you are a Christian, you should be asking, what is the hope we have in this insane world that is so divided and broken? How can we remain faithful to God in a world that rejects him? And if they don't reject him, they remake him. How do I stand firm and thrive? There are so many professing Christians who no longer believe this is God's word. I just discovered that again last night as I found a blog from a friend that I used to live with who loved Jesus, and now he's deconstructed his faith, and he no longer believes this is God's word anymore, and he's dissecting God's word, and he's now over God's word, telling what is good and what is bad. I see it all the time. I have so many friends who went to Bible college with me who are no longer walking in the faith, and so we have all these different pressures coming at you, coming at me, and it's very difficult, and I feel deeply for you. So how can we live in light, in the light, when our culture will often call the light dark? and we'll call the dark light. How can we stand when everyone seems to be crumbling all around? How can we trust God when it seems like he doesn't seem like he's in control? We need to get to these answers in the book of Daniel. And this book is like a field guide on how to live faithfully in a culture, in a world that is going against what God says. This book, though, is misunderstood by many of us. If you grew up in the church in some form, you probably heard some of these stories before, Daniel and the lion's den and Daniel and, and the, you know, his friends in the fiery furnace and so forth. But one of the problems is, a lot of time when you study the book of Daniel and you study any book in the Bible, we can often put it through the wrong lens. And what I mean by that is that you will see a lot of people in Sunday school say stuff like this, 
Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel, guys. Stand up. And that's good. You should be like Daniel and his friends. But here's the deal. If you merely walk away from the book of Daniel with a list of to-dos, a list of good examples of what you need to be like, you will absolutely be crushed by it. Because you can't. And I can't. You love the praise of man too much. I love the praise of man. We have too much of Judith in us. Judith is the one who's just so quick to compromise in the videos. I'm too much of a people pleaser by nature to be able to stand and be like Daniel. And as we see some of these stories more and more, we're going to see how insane it is that he could stand up against all of this pressure. You love yourself too much. You're too selfish. I'm too selfish for us to be like Daniel. That is just law that will crush you. And so what do you need this week? Not great examples, though they're helpful, but what you need to know is Daniel's God. Because when you know Daniel's God intimately and see his greatness and his glory, no matter how big the temptation and the persecution and the pressures of the world are breathing down your neck, God is bigger and it puts it all in perspective. And then you can live in light of it. Then you have power to be able to be a Daniel in the world. But if you just walk away every session with just some good tips of how can you live a better life or how can you be like Daniel, you're missing the point because this whole book is about God. It's all about how you can know who God is, what he's like, what he has done, what he will do. And when you fall in love with that God, his greatness, his bigness, his mercy, then it will change everything about your day to day. That's my goal. If you get that, you get a right vision of God, a right intimate encounter with the living God, then you get a lot of things in your life for free. So instead of me trying to micromanage your activities and your behavior, trying to get you to look like a Christian, I want you to encounter God, and therefore your life is going to increasingly be transformed to be like God. Does that make sense? Some of you guys understand that. So the primary call in this book is to dare to trust in Daniel's God and to know him well. Now let's get into some context because we're jumping right in a middle of, in the beginning of Daniel, which is in the, begin, in the middle of a whole book of books. And that's a little tricky because you have to remember this is historical documents and we're reading literature and we can't just jump into something as if we don't know what's going on. So let me remind you what's going on. So finally, we're going to be in Daniel 1, verse 1, if you want to open your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be on the screen. But I do hope you grab your Bible so you get to know it well. I want you to know your Bibles well. You're not going to have giant screens traveling around with you, okay? Or in your, your morning, if you try to spend time with Jesus, you're not going to have a giant screen that just shows up and conveniently there's a guy sitting in the background just pushing slides for you, okay? You need to know your Bibles well, really, really well. So please grab your Bible. If you don't have one yet, thank you. That's, that's fine, but please get it for tonight's session. Daniel 1.1. 1, 1. I do want to also recognize that a lot of you are tired and you did not sleep well. Um, who here did not sleep well at all? Who here did not sleep really less, maybe an hour or so? that's you can you raise can you stand up real quick you didn't okay just stay standing the entire time so keep you awake all right i'm just kidding you know you can sit down but i'm serious if you are like hey i want to get what you're saying but i am super tired you literally have my permission to stand up and just kind of lean against the wall with your bible and listen so you won't fall asleep 
That's what we did in college. We're like, uh, uh. so we like, okay, it's hard to fall asleep when you're standing, all right, because then you get hurt. So if you need to stand up, hey, there you go. Hey, dare to be like that guy, all right? He was, I saw him. You were falling asleep early, right? I literally saw you. Uh, you were, you were, those, you were getting there. The, the REM cycle was starting, okay? So, all right, if you need to stand up, I totally respect that. I'm not offended. I respect that. Okay, Daniel chapter one, verse one. Would you read this out loud with me? I'm just going to use the ESV right now, but I'm switching to m- multiple translations throughout the week, okay? So read this with me. In the y- third year of the reign, come on, okay, so you, well, so okay, well, all right. So when I say read out loud, so that means that you have to actually like open your mouth and like, <laughs> I know you guys are still affected by COVID and you guys are like three years behind, but I think you guys can read by high school. Okay, read out loud with me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, there's a lot right there. So this book begins in 605 BC, before Christ. So this is a long time ago, 605 BC. This is an actual historical event that happened, not fairy tale. You can look up the history books. This happened. Babylon invaded Jerusalem in multiple waves. And one of the first waves, Daniel and his, some of his friends were taken captive. Though this is just like one single verse, what took place here has unspeakable realities. Daniel and his friends saw things you cannot unsee. If you think you've experienced trauma in your life, I'm sure you have, but you didn't experience trauma like this. Years of pent-up rage and frustration from Babylonian Soldiers who were besieging this, this stubborn city are unleashed upon these people. Every kind of lust of the flesh were released upon women, children, old, young, kids being just thrown on the ground and killed, little kids being abused in the most unspeakable ways. The city was falling apart. Mothers were even cooking and eating their own children because they were dying of starvation. I mean, this is brutality. This is trauma at the highest level. You can imagine it. And this is what's going on. And final, in the final wave of this siege, in 586 BC, they finally were able to burn down the temple, which was the central kind of religious religious item, location of the Jewish faith. Just think about that. Think about our nation, being besieged for years, and finally they break through. You name that bad country out there that you think we could do that, if they could ever do that. And the very central objects of our worship or our care and, and uh, significance of our nation is being burned down, and many of us are being murdered, massacred, abused, and some are being exiled into their homeland. So this is terrible stuff. So this, is, this, is, this, this letter is written in the context of reality of something that happened, and it was very traumatic and very unsettling. So most of God's people are slaughtered, but some are captured as slaves, and they're now exiled out of their homeland and now living in Babylon. And you can imagine these people who are now in Babylon, like Daniel and his friends, are wondering, where are the promises of God? I thought we were his chosen people. Is God real? How could he lose? How can God be God of all gods, the only uncreated one, the one who rules everything, heaven and earth, and lose to 
to Babylon. I mean, this just seems like a weak God here. Now let's look at verse 2, the most significant verse in this whole passage. Though you probably won't believe it upon first glance. Would you read this um, with me out loud as I drink water? Okay. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim. Okay, there's a lot here. We're going to break it down in pieces. First of all, let's talk about verses 1 and 2. The author notes that Jehoiakim is king of what? What does it say? Look at Judah. Why is that significant? Well, remember, Judah is one of the sons of the Jewish patriarch, Jacob. Jacob. You guys remember Jacob in Genesis? Eventually, eventually Judah becomes its own tribe. And it was prophesied that in Judah's line, his family line, there will always be a king that comes from Judah. And even more importantly, eventually from Judah's line will come the Messiah. So think about this. In the Jewish mindset, they are looking for the Messiah to come from Judah's line. And where is Judah's line now? Where are they? In Babylon as a giant trophy for another king. So you can imagine, everyone's thinking, what happened? What's going on? I thought that God's promises will never fail. I thought he doesn't lose. How is it possible that the king of Judah is now a slave of another king? Is there any hope? Will there be a Messiah? Well, if you want to know what the Messiah is and feel the weight of the hopes of Israel being dashed to death, you have to know what Messiah is. So Messiah, let me put up a slide. The Messiah is multifaceted, what the Messiah would take care of. It's not just sin, but the Messiah would take care of the penalty of sin, so four piece, the power of sin, the problems from sin, and finally, the presence of sin, four piece. That's what the Messiah will take care of. Are those important things that need to be taken care of? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every single thing in here. I mean, if you are not a follower of Jesus, even you could acknowledge if you have been sinned against, people have treated you wrongly. You've seen your parents sin against you. You've seen your parents sin against each other. You've seen terrible things in this world. The Messiah is going to take care of all of that. The penalty of that, the power of that, so God's people will never do that again. He will take care of the problems that come from that. Because when sin enters the world, it brought all kinds of problems like hurricanes and COVID and brokenness in every single part, even down to our DNA, down to the very nature that we are around. And finally, the presence of sin to where sin can never come back into the world. The Messiah is supposed to take care of all of that. And so now with, when you have that in your mind, the Jews are thinking, oh no, we have no hope. The king of Judah is a slave now. So what are we going to do? So the logic goes, no king of Judah, no Messiah. No Messiah, no hope for all the brokenness of the world. You follow that? And yet, look at this verse again. Look at verse 2. Who gave the people over? Look at that. It's not your question. Who gave Jehoiakim over? God. God? God did? The Lord did? 
You don't see this on the slide because of the formatting issues, but if you look at your Bible, the Lord should be in all caps, right? All cap, okay, COVID group, the caps is um, capitalization. They're all, yeah, okay. So Lord in all caps, which is the way for English translations to help you know that this is the word Yahweh, which is God's personal name that's only for his people, that represents his faithfulness and all of his glorious attributes for his people. It's his personal name. Has, it's loaded with significance. That was a very shorthand way to explain his commitment to his people that is wrapped up in his name. So Yahweh, the one who is faithful to his people, who's good and glorious and powerful, gave over the king of Judah into the hands of the Babylonians? Do you see how that sounds contradictory? That sounds, that's like me, you reading, and then Sam handed his kids over to another king. Right? What? You can't do that? What are you doing here? See, but there's actually hope in this verse because we learn who's actually in control of all of it. Though it would be impossible to see with your eyes, especially as you see people slaughtered and abused all around you, God actually has good plans in the midst of all of this darkness. He has beauty from these ashes in mind. See, Nebuchadnezzar wants to show off his power and his sovereignty by taking a bunch of God's stuff from the temple and God's people and putting it in his temple as walking trophies of, look at all these people. Look at all these trophies of the people that I've conquered. I am the king. I'm the one in control. And on human stand, from, from, from a human standpoint, from human limitations of our sight, he looks like he's in control. He is the world's superpower. He's the most powerful man in the world at this time. But you must, you must here have both natural and spiritual eyes. Natural eyes to observe what's going on in the news and in life and your families and your school, but also spiritual eyes to see what is actually happening behind what's happening. See, Yahweh gave Judah and his precious belongings into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. That's what the text says. So fundamentally, Nebuchadnezzar did not take over Israel because he was more powerful, but because the Lord handed them over. They defeated Judah because it was part of God's sovereign plan, which I'll explain in a minute his plan behind it. But first, let me explain what sovereignty is. What's this word sovereignty? It's not a word that you hear often. I did not learn it until I was in college. I would hear people use it on the news, like America's sovereignty, and you kind of just kind of nod along like, yeah, yeah, I know what that means, but I didn't know what it meant. We talked about this in our series of Jonah. Anyone who's here for Jonah? Anyone was here on Jireh for the attributes of God? So we talked about sovereignty. Let's rehearse it again because it's really important. Let me put a slide up there. God's sovereignty. This is my quick definition. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. God's sovereignty is God's authority and a power to direct all things according to his good plan. So his authority and power to direct all things according to his good plan. So though King Nebuchadnezzar was the great sovereign over the known world, his power was on a leash. It was on loan. God was letting him do these things because God had a bigger plan that Nebuchadnezzar could not see, nor could the average Israelite see. God gave them over. Nebuchadnezzar did not take them. Why would a good God who's faithful 
do such a thing to his people. Let me show you a passage, 2 Kings 24.2. If you're taking notes, you can jot it down. It'll be on the screen. You can flip over if you're fast at flipping over. Would you read this out loud? Then the Lord sent bands, a Babylonian, Arminian. Oof. It's first day, though. I get it. I know those are a lot of big words for you. Why would God give up his people? See that phrase at the end? Just as Yahweh had promised through his prophets. God had warned his people to turn back to him, turn from their idols for generations. Let me show you God's heart through Jeremiah, which is an important companion book to Daniel. Jeremiah 25, 3 through 4. Look at this. This is Jeremiah speaking. For the past 23 years from the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until now, Yahweh has been giving me his message. I faithfully pass them on to you, but you have not listened. Again and again, the Lord has sent me, sent you, his servants, the prophets, but you have not listened or even paid attention. 23 years they've been warned. 23 years. Wow, God is so patient. How many of you guys here are impatient? Yeah, I was on a trip with my kids for 24 hours to New York, and the AC did not work, and I was losing my mind after three hours of driving. Three hours of driving, and I'm all out of patience, and I'm saying things that I should not say that I had to repent to my kids of. <laughs> 23 years! Can you fathom this kind of patience? But not just 23 years, because if you actually read the Old Testament, you'll see in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 that God lays out a bunch of promises, blessings, and curses if they trust him and obey him. So this is what God does. This is the pattern of the Bible. God gives his people a promised land, and he gives them laws and ways for them to thrive for the good of all humans and for their relationship with him to honor him and and God's people reject God's authority, does what they, do what they want, and then they're exiled and taken out of that promised land. That is the pattern over and over again in the Bible. So this is actually something that's been happening for hundreds of years. Just fathom the patience of God. Like seriously, if I just sat here, I thought about doing this. I didn't, but I thought about doing this. Walking up here and not saying a word for like just... 30 seconds just staring at you. That 30 seconds would feel to you like an eternity. I'm secure enough. I could handle that 30 seconds. You would lose your mind. What is he doing? Why is he staring at us? 30 seconds. This is hundreds of years of God's patience, of him patiently, lovingly warning his people and his warning and his people who are loved by him, who are blessed by him, who are given all these good gifts are saying, no, I know God because I'm 12. You know, God, I know what's best for my life. I watch TV and TikTok. I know things, right? Hundreds of years of God patiently reasoning with his people, giving them warnings, giving them little mini lessons to show them, to wake them up, and them saying, no, 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 we got this, we got this, we got this. God is so patient with me. He's so patient with you. And so what you see here and what you're going to see in Daniel, and what, what happens here is what's always happening. That's God, this theme of exiles throughout all of the Bible. Remember, in Eden, God gives his his people, Adam and Eve, a place to thrive, full of good gifts, full of yeses, one no, and they reject his rule. They want to be God themselves, so they lose the promised place. They're exiled. They lose his presence. 
They lose his, lose his power. They lose his favor and his intimacy, and they're no longer with him. Everything falls apart. They were originally meant to be face-to-face with God. God was never supposed to be invisible and never supposed to be distant right there with him. And that is the repeating cycle of throughout the whole Bible. That's what happened with the Israelites, and that's what's happening here. And that's why many of you here are tuned in with the sense deeply in your heart you know that the world is not as it ought to be. You feel the ache and the longing for a, a better home. Even if you have a home, you've never felt like your home. This book helps us see the bigger picture of what you were made for. You were made for another place and another one. And some of you know that, some of you don't know that, and your hearts are longing and aching for that place and that home. See, this is what this book does for us. I want to make a quick point because of time. And then I'm going to get on to something that's really important in verse 2. What you notice is that God's people represent him. They bear his name, and yet God is willing to get his name dragged through the mud temporarily so that he can purify and redeem his people. God is not afraid of judging his people temporarily so that they can wake up from their slumber. And some of you are going through a big trial and you think that God has forsaken you, and it's actually God trying to wake you up because he loves you. And how dare you represent him like that? He's jealous for his reputation, his name, and you bear his name if you call yourself a Christian, and he will do what he needs to do to waken you up until you represent him rightly or until you renounce him. And you see that throughout the Bible, God's people think, God would never do that. We have the temple of the Lord. He would never judge us. We represent him. We are his kids. And yet God will show us in Daniel, and he showed us many times, that he will judge you if you repeatedly reject his rule, his good rule, and his authority over your life, and you do not represent him rightly. So maybe the trial that you're in is God's merciful kindness to wake you up to to reality. Now let's look at one final important thing in verse 2. And he brought them into the land of Shinar. If you've read the Bible before, very carefully, Shinar is repeated one time in the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 11, there was a land called Shinar, and guess what people tried to build there? A tower, the Tower of Babel. See, God's pe- uh, not God's people, people wanted to be like God, wanted to do their own thing, wanted to reach the heavens on their own terms, in their own ways. And so they built this great tower and then God dismantled their efforts, split apart the nations, which resulted in all the different languages and people groups and ethnicities we have today. And that's what God did in Genesis 11. And that was in the land of Shinar. And now where's God's people going back to? The land of where? Shinar. Shinar is modern day Iraq and also the origins of the Babylonian Empire. So what do we see here? In Genesis 11, we see the very origins of Babylon being created. And what are the origins of Babylon? A a desire to be your own king, to be your own boss, to call your own shots, to seek self-glory. That is the very heart posture. That's the very spirit of Babylon. And that is the very spirit that will be thrust upon Daniel and his friends every day for their entire life while they're in Babylon. Be like us. Embrace the way of the trashers or the way of Babylon. It's all about you. Do what you want. 
They're not neutral towards them. They're hostile. Babylon is fine with you as long as you're like them. But if you step out of place, if you stand up, they will rage against you. You must resist the influence of the spirit of Babylon, the heart of Babylon that was birthed at Babel and is then in Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom and is actually alive and well now. See, because think about this. Let's bring this home and I'll close. What does our culture often value? Well, self-expression. What you self-identify and believe about yourself is the most authoritative thing and everybody must respect it or you rage against them. We celebrate self-glory, self-love. Objectively speaking, our culture embodies and celebrates much of the heart of Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, the very spirit that was birthed at Babel, the very heart that goes against God in the garden. And so, for you, this is very relevant. Because let me show you 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you, sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against you. And then Hebrews 13, 14, real quick. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. You seek and you long and you ache and hurt for a city that you have never seen, a city that is to come. You long for the day where heaven comes down to earth, where you finally get to see God face to face. That's what you were made for, and that's what all your searchings and your longings are actually giving you signposts for what you long for, really, though you may not know it. All of us are sojourners. This is not our ultimate home. We are all exiles from the garden. We're no longer in the presence physical presence of God beholding him anymore. So every single one of you are exiles. So this is a great handbook for exiles. And so throughout this week, we're going to be building on these themes, going deeper. I want to pray for you, and then Maddie's going to come up. Father, thank you so much for giving us this book and letting us exiles not be lost without hope. I pray, Father, as this day progresses, that your spirits would impress upon and stir up in every heart here greater longings for the city that is to come, the city that we, we exist for, the God that we belong to, that we may be ignoring right now. For those who are skeptics, who are struggling, who have doubts, would you start meeting them there? Thank you that you are secure and you can handle our doubts. I pray that you meet us now this week. You help me be faithful to this group. Please bless the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.